Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. So, all the way over in New York, Serge Prangle, thank you so much for joining us. Very happy to be with you, Richard. Now, there's only half of me. Uh, I'm sorry, Matt's uh, just got a few few issues that came up uh, unexpectedly. So, so I'm afraid you'll just have to put up with with my questions. So, all sensibility and uh, and reasonableness, which is what Matt represents, yeah, is out the window. And it'll just be you and me. We'll have a great time. All right. Now, it's because uh, we brought you on because uh, of. Uh, Well, we heard about you to bring you on because of a new book, which is uh, a reasonable thing, but you've been around for a while, so I want to talk about that. But uh, the proactive 12 steps, uh, Mm -hmm. this is mindfulness work, and uh, if perhaps you could introduce us a little bit to the book and a bit of the journey that that brought you up, because it's been around, I I can see this as the sixth edition, so you've you've been working on this for some time, you know, it's lovely, you know, good friend Stephen Poor just uh, gave a lovely presentation of it, some other lovely people in your your reviews, so uh, fill us in on the uh, surge story. Yeah, yeah, so uh, it's interesting, I discovered the proactive 12 steps through a friend a long time ago, I mean, not the proactive 12 steps, the 12 steps. Uh, through a friend many, many, many years ago, I think 30-some years ago. Uh, And, uh, you know, I'm a therapist, and as a therapist, I really don't have um, a a step program or something that's a a direct way of of leading people along a predetermined way. As therapists, we try to be very, very uh, attuned to our clients and see their unique needs and help them. And so uh, I was really intrigued about that way of thinking that had um, a list of steps for people to to achieve personal growth and not just personal growth in ordinary circumstances, but under the very drastic circumstances of being in the throes of addiction. Uh, I love the concept of self-help. Uh, and uh, and so I was intrigued by that, and I've had over the years a, a dialogue with it, and which led to different editions of the step. So this one is a is the latest edition because it's really something that uh, has been enhanced every time in terms of um, my experience, in terms of what I learned about the process of therapy, the process of personal growth, what I learned about clients, what I learned about myself. Um, and so it's been incorporated into changing the wording of these steps. Um, it's a, there's a sense of tremendous respect for the process that was created by the original steps, but also of wanting to uh, tweak them and change them based on what is contemporary understanding of what human beings are and how they change, and, uh, and especially understanding of trauma. And so when you talk about the original steps, uh, you're referring to the AA, Alcoholics Anonymous yes, 12 Steps. Yes, and, yes. Yeah, and this 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 uh, aspect of, of addiction that it's working with, and in particular there was alcoholism, but I'm sure those steps are used in other things as well, aren't they? Are used in many forms of addiction. And, and by the way, the concept of the proactive 12 steps is not just for addiction, it's for anybody who wants to achieve change, because the beauty of the 12 steps was to say, Um, You have a problem with, say, alcohol, 
But, you know, they really don't talk about alcohol. They talk about how to change your life. And so I like that concept and I took that that concept of step by step to adapt it to uh, my understanding of how it is that we can actually make changes in the face of the mechanisms that prevent us from doing that. Yeah, because I was going to say to you that uh, having looked at the through the book and looked at the 12 steps, there's nothing there that makes me um, uh, assume that it's about addiction. Uh, and in fact, now we talk about the fact that r- reminding me that, that that's some of the origins of, uh, of where you work, that there's been so much talk in later recent years about that addiction is a connection problem, is a relationship problem. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and by repairing the sense of relationship to self and to, to others, the, the, the product uh, becomes you know, the addictive thing becomes less needed and desired. So so it, it I, I was actually, um, uh, that was also why I felt I, I almost needed to ask the question, like, hey, this is this is so you, independent uh, and and has such a, a broad-ranging uh, impact on the user. Uh, gee, was, did it really just come from that? So that was why, you know, the, the AA stuff. Now, what, what you do is uh, uh, there's a, some beautiful things that that ring in my ears so lovely. You know that that therapy in itself is a is a created process. It's a it's an evolving, improvised sort of process. Uh, but I very often said to people, Matt and I are both musicians as well, and we say first you learn the scales before you learn to improvise. So steps are really. Uh, are really valuable uh, sometimes. Uh, and uh, uh, even now, uh, I will utilise step processes and things in order to get myself in, get get my feet on the ground, get myself settled. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I imagine. So as you, you go, you're saying changing the words and, and evolving this, was this, uh, I mean, how much was this sort of experiential uh, experientially driven. How much of it was sort of just personal, personal contemplation and deliberate practice, sort of driven? Um, I'm, I'm perhaps they were equal. But what was the process there as you went through finding that there were just sort of better ways to word it, better, better ways to apply it? So um, it's been in my mind, uh, in the back of my mind, for thirty some years. Uh, obviously, not all the time, but uh, there's. Uh, a constant dialogue going on in that sense about mm, uh, how do I understand this thing that so many millions of people have been doing um, in terms of how I relate to the clients I see and the way they make changes. Uh, How do I relate to it in terms of how I myself experience the difficulties of being in the moment and making changes. You know, the same way that as an experiential therapist, I have a constant dialogue between what I do with my clients, how I am with them, the kind of space I provide with them, the struggles I see them go through, and my own. Um, And uh, I believe, I think that's something that you will probably agree with me, that uh, I am that much more useful as a therapist to my clients if I myself am in the middle of a creative process. Yes, Um, yes, absolutely agree, yeah. You know, that being in the presence of what's happening uh, and being very attached to uh, also comparing it and, and, and feeding it with my own experience, 
general experience and moment by moment experience, you know, means that what is happening in the therapy room is a creative process because both people are intensely alive at that moment. You know, this, and so this is, kind of, this is the dialogue that I've had with the steps, you know, in the sense of, um, uh, you know, what does it mean to me? And, and I take the continuum that, you know, not, you know, the, what is addiction is addiction is, a, is an extreme, but of a continuum where all of us have had some trauma in a very broad sense, you know, that not trauma in a sense of ER, you know, big catastrophe, uh, major, uh, you know, but something about, uh, if, you, if you take as a definition of trauma, dealing with something that was overwhelming at the time it happened, then all of us have unfinished business. Yes, and, and it is through trauma, really, all these overwhelming experiences, these difficulties that we don't know how to manage, that we learn how to manage. We, that we learn how to manage. And so, you know, the, when when we actually learn how to manage them, that's where growth is. And then trauma is a, is a springboard for, for achieving something that we couldn't have otherwise. But otherwise, we you know, there's all these areas that we got stuck into, and uh, and so the process of navigating them and mindfully confronting them and proactively dealing with them is what growth is all about. And I think that because one of the things is I was looking through the, the 12 steps and uh, you do it very nicely in the, in the first there's four sort of sections of the book uh, and then some appendices. And in the first section, you go through a bit more in depth, but there's a nice, neat little appendice, uh, appendix, which has just got the, the principles. And I'm looking through them in that appendix and going uh, to some degree, uh, these are motherhood and apple pie sort of attitudes and approaches and orientations. And it's a great reminder that, first of all, um, I love them because they're natural. I do, I, I must admit, I find some of AA um, wording and things a little bit, um, uh, a little bit sort of not manipulative, uh, anyway, a bit constructed. Whereas these things I go, yeah, that, I can do that. I feel natural with that. That's a natural thing about me. And then I'm going, but if they're motherhood and apple pie, how come we need to be reminded of them? But that's exactly what you've just described. We have these yeah. traumas. We have these things we haven't dealt with. And we get disconnected from our naturalness. And sometimes uh, even I'm playing the piano and I'm not playing terribly well. I go back and I do some scales for a little while. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is sort of a feeling. Is is that the way your clients find it uh, uh, when you're working with them or the people who've been using the 12 steps talk to you that, that it resettles them or reconnects them? Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a way, uh, I think reconnect is a good word. Recentering is a good word. But essentially... Um, a sense of, you know, the, the analogy that I like is the GPS um, mm. that uh, in when you're you're driving and you suddenly change direction, the GPS has to for a moment is disoriented and needs to recalculate the route. And then uh, you're 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 again on a route. OK. And yeah. so yeah. that concept of the pause and the active pause is that's a moment where you get disoriented because you thought you knew where you were going and suddenly you stop. And when you stop, you realize you don't. But then um, you, you kind of get reoriented and you know where you're going. 
And so the the steps process that I describe is centered around the practice of that pause uh, so that time and again, you find yourself recentered, reoriented. And basically, when you are, uh, it feels very basic. It feels very natural. But Mm. the moment before, you were not able to access that natural and that basic because you were on a different track. Do you find that some people, because I was just thinking with that GPS analogy, which is so uh, uh, so delightful, that um, you can be going along, you, it gets a bit lost, the GPS gets a bit lost, but then uh, sometimes I go, oh, I know where I am, and and I sort of put the GPS aside and go off. Do, do you find that sometimes people, as they're working through the steps, that uh, sometimes they they uh, get back into the frame as they're going and not necessarily do this rigid sort of 12-step uh, adherence and then go off? Yeah. Is this something that happens sometimes? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I think uh, I don't think that there is one way to do things. Mm. Um, I mean, the the concept of, uh, you know, the, the, the reason I articulated it as a process uh, is to say that there is a beauty in seeing that if you are feeling overwhelmed, again, think about it, that the general concept here is this is of help to people, to those clients of ours. Hopefully these are people who go to therapy, but, you know, one hour of therapy a week is not that lot. You know, people are lost a lot of the time by themselves. So um, when they feel lost, they have something uh, that's a roadmap and to say, where am I in this process? Okay. Yeah, a stabilizing and, uh, and sort so, of thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, so the roadmap tells you, okay, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. But, you know, it, it helps me get grounded. Yeah. And we, you know? so we've talked about, the, you know, this sort of overall, and it's lovely, but I'm thinking maybe maybe the, the I and, and some of the people listening, uh, if we could get into one of them. I, I know when you when you write it, it's beautiful. You, you write the step, uh, you do a bit of a description about it, a bit of a discussion, and, and it's, uh, there's some topic points that vary depending on the step, but you give an example, and you know, sort of a, mm-hmm. a, a practical example and a, a few insights. In the original 12 Steps, The progression, uh, essentially the flavor of it is that you realize that you have been trying to basically play God. And so you surrender to the will of God and you recognize your wrongs and you correct them and essentially you get redeemed. So I'm a bit doing a caricature. Uh, and, I'm, and I think if you talk to people who are long-term practitioners of the 12 step, they would quibble with my description because they don't see it that way. But uh, I think it, ha- it it's the flavor it has because of the language it has. Oh. Um, and instead, what I wanted to do is to describe a psychological process and the psychological process that has to do with uh, understanding why you do what you do uh, as a reaction to overwhelm and essentially trauma. So where you suddenly realize that what you're doing is not working and you start to face reality, but facing reality does not mean uh, giving up on saying, I need to take care of my life, I need to take charge. It's just realizing that the way you've been going about it, 
uh, has been to try and use your willpower uh, in a way to make the world change. It's a way, it's something similar to you using your willpower to say, I refuse to accept the law of gravity. And if you squeeze your brains hard enough and if you send waves that are powerful enough, the law of gravity is going to stop working. And you can't do that. Yeah, good luck with that, yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's about finding a way to actually be able to face reality, understanding that reality to you is very painful because it goes right into your wound, right into your trauma. So how, you know, and again, this is we're using Stephen Porges and all the, you know, the, 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 the learning that we've had about trauma is about, you know, the reason people do that is not because they're nasty or stupid or, you know, it's because there is something which is essentially fear, mm-hmm. threat, you know, and these are physiological reactions to threat that we know a lot more about than people used to. And so what it is, is how to build a a place, an ecosystem of safety and reinforcement and connection where, you know, you only had threat, you know, and you dealt with threat in the very ineffective ways that you figured out because you were overwhelmed. And so it's a step-by-step approach to creating safety and then in that safety discovering what you're afraid of and taking some time to deconstruct what you're doing in order to identify better ways to do it to rehearse them uh, and then practice them okay so uh, this is very different again it's in some ways you could say it's motherhood and apple pie because all all of us when not in a threat mode, not in an overwhelm mode, of course we know that. Yeah. But the question is, we lose track of it when we're in a moment of activation and when it's intense and it's overwhelmed. Yes, yes. I mean, in the context of some of the language I've been using, combining, uh, engaging with yours, is, is when we lose our sense of naturalness, we can use our willpower to re-engage, to find, to to use pathways, rather than this idea that we seem to have in modern society that we can use our willpower to defeat nature. Uh, And that's, of course, you know, which is just causing us so many just slight disasters. But, you know, I like that you use the word re-engage, and I think that whole concept of mindfulness is engagement. Yes, isn't it? Yeah. uh, Mm. And so... This is that beautiful moment, that virtuous cycle that happens when uh, you're you're not quite in a mindful mode. You know, you're at the very edge of it, but the pushing a little bit through engagement is not willpower in terms of conquering something, but you know, the intention to actually get more engaged. And the process of being engaged helps you being more mindful, more in that ventral vagal social engagement mode. Uh, and so uh, that's that's a beautiful, you know, virtuous cycle that happens. And that's what that's what this process is about. Yes, so much. I mean, intention uh, can be uh, viewed as a as a willpower, as a power of uh, of um, of conscious act. But it's also a power of of implicit, of non-conscious, of what I call orientation, or, or yeah. what we might call simply as attitude. Uh, and, I, and I have 
I've, I've done my uh, due diligence as you were talking so beautifully there uh, and grabbed a couple uh, of the of the steps. Now we've already actually gone through in what you you were talking about. Step one, the uh, the the orientation, the approach, uh, the area of of uh, of what you're dealing with is I face reality. I'm not able to control what I do, and this has serious consequences. Meaning, if you do, and you as you've discussed, and in step two, we've also managed to talk about that. I understand that I cannot force change through willpower. I need to disentangle my life patiently, which is so, so. This one, I want, yeah, I want to to like. I love the image of you know, literally, that you you have this cord that's all tangled up, and the temptation is you try to pull, you try to to do stuff so that it's done quickly, and the more you do, the more tangled up it becomes. Yes. And so the metaphor for the process is that you're going to have to go step by step, loop by loop. Um, and, but the same way as you can eventually disentangle a cord, it is possible to remove all of these processes, all of these uh, entanglements in your life, you know, that, that trauma brought you to. And, and isn't it actually just as you as you describe that? I'm just running through my head. And isn't it that wonderful, uh, albeit testing and challenging, and and some and sometimes rather uh, the dark night of the soul, as uh, as we talk about it. When you are entangling that thing, they're sort of like, oh my god, oh my god, oh look at that, oh oh, and then suddenly there's a a, a fascination at this terrible thing that you go, but it means this or it takes me here. Uh, and as you're, as you're saying, just the disentangling. And then it's, I'm just visualising myself as, uh, which I'm sure is a part of what this is by that orientation you had in that second step. I'm visualising the tangle being less tangled or looser and I'm feeling better. Just, just visualise that as I talk to you. But you know that I like when you're talking, your body language uh, has oh, yes. that quality, okay? And that quality of, uh, you know, I'm noticing how uh, just your hands uh, are moving more slowly in a more deliberate manner, okay? Ah, so isn't uh, it beautiful is, the way we speak? Yeah, exactly. Things, yeah. But so, you know, from, you know, the indistinct movement to actually moving slower. So what that more precise movement is, is that moment where your mind is at more uh, social engagement, mindful engagement mode. So that already you have that that fine motor control, okay, mm -hmm. which is very different from the, the brusque thing of just pulling, pushing, impatient OK, so um, just in the talking about it uh, and the image plays in your mind, uh, it's actually influencing your whole motor system where you are in a more mindful mode and therefore you have more action on it. And so and, you're, you're engaged. And as the therapist, you're observing this. Uh, now, obviously, in this conversation, you're now repeating it to me. And I know my, my mentor, Ernest Rossi, would, would often say, and now I will explain uh, what we've just done and ruin it. Uh, <laughs> so so I, I know that you're not, you're, you're, not, uh, you're not suggesting that the therapist sits there and goes through this deep explanation because, of course, I don't need that explanation, which is uh, I was appreciating because my hands, but you're able to... You were able to see 
the changes in, in, in mental processes, the shift from macromotor skills to micromotor skills. Uh, you know, you, you're almost, uh, what you were describing there was a beautiful fMRI of, of my neurobiological uh, functions. And, and just on, on that, coming into those terms, um, without before we go on with, with uh, one or two of the other actual steps, you do have one chapter which takes a neurobiological orientation, looks at mm-hmm. the, the, the the physiology. That's uh, I think is um, that's part three, sort of like the first part's a workbook, the second part's the, the the experiential self perspectives. Then you have this lovely science neuroscience perspective, and the fourth chapter or part is a a, a spiritual philosophical aspect. Can you just uh, give you a little bit more, because uh, the science of psychotherapy, we kind of like that, but I, I yes. think philosophy and spirituality is, is part of science as well. But um, a little bit more about that that aspect of the body of the brain, of, of some of the things that you talk about in the book. So essentially, it's something that will come as no surprise to people who have been following the work of Stephen Porges and uh, contemporary approaches to trauma, is to really think of what happens to us uh, as part of a continuum with all living or animals uh, who are in nature and facing threat and that evolving um, autonomic nervous system uh, that has been the basis of how we interact with threat. And understanding that, you know, it has its own ways of dealing with threat that are understandable within the environment within which we evolved and um, much more troubling at times when we are dealing with the environment of civilized society. So uh, being able to see things from that perspective, we're able to actually uh, decode the reactions of the autonomic nervous system as things that have to do with managing threat uh, and therefore uh, follow them to the extent that they're useful to us, but not uh, when they actually are against our functioning in society. And so one of the the things that is very interesting is, for instance, that um, in a state of nature, you know, we go in stages uh, you know, from, uh, or not just in nature, all the time, our nervous system goes from ventral vagal to sympathetic to uh, shut down uh, or collapse. And uh, if you're an animal in nature, or if you're one of our primitive ancestors, that collapse happens in extremely rare situations when it essentially means it's the end. Yeah. Uh, and so you conserve energy to survive as long as possible. Mm -hmm. But in contemporary society, in in any civilized society, you know, very often there are problems that the uh, parasympathetic activation cannot resolve. Uh, You're angry with your boss, you can't punch them or just slam the door and run away. Uh, So essentially what your nervous system gets, the information is that it's at the end of the rope, whereas it's not. It's just simply what the particular circuit that's involved is not able to resolve it. Uh, And ideally, what you would do is take a break, come back, look at it calmly from a distance and then resolve it in a mindful way and you'd be fine. But, uh, you know, the nature of our nervous system 
is that you haven't been able to immediately resolve it. So it escalated to to sympathetic. Sympathetic is not able to resolve it. Therefore, you unconsciously conclude that it's impossible and you're mm-hmm. back in that shutdown. Yes, and it's no. a barrier, it's a block, and it's a, all and those it's a, many, it's many things barrier, that we barrier, and then you get stuck in oscillating between the shutdown and the sympathetic, and you get stuck there, you know. But it's not It's not that the problem is that impossible. It's mm. just the way the nervous system gives you that impression, mm. you know. And so, again, if you're able to come back to mindful, you know, then you would see it. Yes. But you get stuck there in the loop because yeah. that's how the system functions. And and this thing that our, our, we we have this uh, not unreasonable uh, idea that the the body seeks to be to to not only survive but thrive, uh, mm-hmm. as we talk about in positive psychology. But we also must accept the the reality that the body will will be satisfied with surviving. So it may have all these blocks and barriers, but if you're still eating and and putting yourself under shelter and your immune system is still basically able to function, we will, we can biologically uh, implicitly settle for that. And on a genetic level, we'll, we'll settle for that. So in order to, to take these uh, additional uh, processes, these additional steps that we're able to appreciate because of our changed consciousness, our our development of uh, of mental processes, and we can say, no, I can do better than that. I would like to do better than that. And uh, so all these, I mean, this is just such a beautiful frame of it. And you have this lovely conversation with Stephen Porges that you yeah. give us a transcript of in the, in the appendix. Yeah. What, what yeah. was that like? Well, the, uh, having, I mean, I love talking to Steve, but the, the, the it's thing, lovely. You know, what, uh, Stephen is wonderful because not just, you know, that he's very smart and figured out a lot of things. Oh, very smart. But he's actually yeah. embodying that attitude in his presence. Yeah. Uh, in the way he speaks, in the rhythm of his voice, in his smile, in his body language. Um, so it's really very wonderful to see that it's not something that is divorced from experience. And I think it's, uh, that makes him that much more convincing because... Yes. Um, um, you know, that is something that is reflected in the way he lives. Yeah. And and I think there's, there's some of, you have this um, in some of the steps. Um, uh, and I'm just thinking, looking at which one that, um, the, it was about looking at others. Uh, and it, it's, yeah, I'm looking Yes, it's really, it's really in it's step 12 where there's this um, uh, more of a reflective, more of a pulling the things together. But my life reflects a growing sense of respect and compassion for myself and others. I share this process with others who are struggling. Uh, and that's a, that's a, that's a, that's to me that lovely thing. So you've done all this work on, on, on inner, and then the twelfth step invites you to open up and expand. And the beauty of it for me is that the two are not contradictory. That uh, yes. we can get so easily trapped in a dichotomy between me, others, uh, selfish, selfless, altruistic—you know—all of these. 
But the beauty of it is, if not in a place of overwhelm, if not in a place of pressure, uh, the two are actually very, very much uh, complementary and reinforcing each other. Yes, absolutely. You know? There's a lovely thing, Dan Siegel, in the, the interpersonal neurology guy, mm-hmm. uh, I know him quite well. Uh, we did a lot of things in that area, but, but he came up with a lovely word, Mui, M-W-E. Right. The, the yeah. me-we. And there's been, um, you know, there's been some beautiful expressions of that, um, you know, through history and various philosophers. Uh, uh, that's yeah. just a nice, neat one. Now, uh, I think there's some, um, we're, sort of, we're sort of coming a little bit to the, to the end of our, our, our session together. We, we do find that around 35, 40 minutes, everybody finishes their run or something and they they, they turn us off. Uh, but I don't, I don't want to because there's so much um, uh, so much more that I really wanted to talk about. I think I'd just like to, yeah, I'd like to do a little bit more just because uh, you do have that chapter on the, the part on spirituality. And there's a couple of things that I really like, just little quotes I noted down. Um, you said, uh, uh, you know, introducing the, the 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 section and then saying it's not necessarily uh, that you are a card carrying member of a particular religion or philosophy, and then a few lines further on, you say, let your curiosity guide you. So you've taken a a, a very broad humanistic. Uh, well, actually, this is the question. Have you taken, it seems as though you've taken this broad humanistic view of spirituality rather than these isolated, uh, regulated forms. What's, what was yeah, the process yeah, there? I have, I have trouble with the concept of spirituality as something that is essentially spirits or uh, some tradition. Um, I think that, you know, when any tradition that is, uh, you know, that was powerful, was very alive. Um, It had tremendous meaning to people and was a way of engaging with reality. It was not some kind of a quaint sub-practice that was about spirituality, but it was about how to have control over life, how to have understanding over life. Mm. And um, and then, uh, you know, it gets split because we have other means of having understanding, meaning, and some degree of action over life with science. And so spirituality becomes uh, something secondary. But I have a much broader concept of spirituality, which is how we understand how we fit in the world and through whatever means necessary. And some of it is what science tells us, and some of it is what experience tells us, and some of it is, you know, what maybe uh, traditions have to tell us in terms of concepts that help us, you know, better engage with the world. But I think of it more as a sense of understanding of how we fit. Mm. And and it just sort of, uh, I I could hear the two words, as you say, this, this understanding over uh, life as different from understanding of um, perhaps is you know what we're talking about here yeah and and that same thing that that and that perhaps that was a little bit of the the, the feeling that I got with the AA twelve steps was that there was a a defeat of your um, uh, of your addiction or of your issues rather than a re-engagement with those things that were the opposite, that, that were yeah. the not yeah. addictions, the, the, the not disconnections, the not traumas. 
and, yeah, and I and think, that takes I think time. Uh, that there are lots of people in AA who would see it that way. But I think the language, unfortunately, um, encourages people to think of it in terms of defeat and submission. And uh, yeah, it's just the uh, language of it. That's quite right. I have talked to many AAs. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so what I really wanted to convey is a sense, I mean, I think you beautifully had it with that sense of re-engagement in life, mm. that there is something about overwhelm and overwhelm means defeat. And so from that place of defeat, there is a logical and necessity to um, to retrench. Uh, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, just the same way as say in trauma treatment, you try and move away from the heart of what the trauma is in order to find the right distance to deal with it. And then as you progressively regain your footing, you can then engage more with it and be able to deal with it. So there's that sense of um, uh, it's not a defeat and uh, just you assuming that actually you're now inferior or you're, you're humiliated and come down, uh, but is finding a better way to deal with the world. Mm. Yes, yes, it's um, uh, that 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 wondrous thing. I, I must have been I've been um, listening to the the uh, uh, replay the the Beatles the, the Get Back. Uh, that, mm-hmm. that's on uh, Netflix or or something, and and this extraordinary thing of of listening to Paul McCartney and John Lennon, but Paul McCartney particularly, of course, because he's mostly interviewed because poor old John Lennon's left us. But here are these guys with these incredible capacities and possibilities and things in their head and and extraordinary. And he, he said, you know, we, we go along and um, someone teaches us a new chord, and we go, oh, that's great. And then, you know, so this this information coming from from out to then going within, and then connecting with all the that individual possibility and capacity, and who knows what's going to come out? Now, you know, we're not all obviously going to be, you know, the McCartney songwriters or the the whatever it is. But I guess what I started off at the very beginning saying, I actually really miss having my my um, my 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 co-host Matt here because there's something about you make that we feed each together. other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and these twelve steps enable, you know, give it give a working platform for the therapist and the clients interfeeding of each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very nice. It's very very nice. Now we'll certainly give links back to your websites and 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 show places where people can get a hold of this, uh, and uh, so they can incorporate it. and And I, I can see it as I see it as a wonderful tool that uh, the therapist and the client can engage in together. And I can see from what you're talking, that's what it's like. Or, so- or actually, sometimes uh, it's something that the the client does on their own. Uh, and right. just maybe refers to it to the therapist that, uh, you know, it's like it becomes their own process. Uh-huh. Um, but if the, the therapist has a language or a roadmap uh, to uh-huh. follow them when they're on their own. So the therapist can can introduce the material and then allow yeah. the client to to find uh, find their own experience with it. So it's got a multiple right. a multiple yeah. level set of levels in which in which it can be uh, which it can be and the word that we've become delighted with you know engaged. I mean although it is a it is yeah. a great word. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Now, is there anything I've I've missed, or uh, if not, is there just sort of a, a closing sentiment, a, uh, something to to leave 
to leave everybody with uh, at this stage? I think the the one thing that I would want to uh, focus on is the centrality of the pause, you know, as thought mm. of as an active pause. Um, and that uh, is, you know, very much similar to what we talked about, about the GPS, that sense of um, uh, moment by moment and, you know, that there is always the possibility of renegotiating the relationship with the world through that pause. Uh, And I think of the 12 steps as something that's built around that, that's describing what happens moment by moment and what happens over time. Mm. Okay. That's, uh, that's really something for us to, 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 to really enjoy in the specific nature of uh, of this, you know, pragmatic approach with particular details, but also I think just as a philosophical, uh, a philosophical sense of 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 what we're of what we're trying to do with ourselves mm-hmm. and with each other. Uh, I think it's mm-hmm. a uh, it's a beautiful way to to conclude the program. So uh, for now, Serge. Pringle, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and your 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 beauty and your gentleness and your kindness uh, as well. And we look forward to people taking a great interest in in this wonderful work you're doing. Thanks for being our guest. Richard, I really enjoyed your presence, your conversation, and uh, your stimulating ideas. Beautiful. Well, everybody, it's uh, bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.